Hello, and welcome to another Church Mission Society podcast. We try and bring together stories from people across the globe who are involved in God's mission so that you can pray, learn, and participate in mission too. To discover more stories, visit churchmissionsociety.org. On the 17th of July, 2018, Church Mission Society hosted a day for people wanting to engage more in mission among those who describe themselves as spiritual, but not religious. One of the speakers on the day was Phil Wyman, who lives in Salem, Massachusetts. Phil is the author of the book, Witches Are Real People Too, Understanding American Neopaganism from a Christian Perspective. He is a fixture at festivals such as the famous Burning Man event in the US. And in this podcast, he talks to Naomi Steinberg about creating carnivalesque moments where people can encounter Christ. Why do you think Halloween is the most Christian festival? <laughs> I get. <laughs> I, I haven't gotten in trouble for this yet because by the time I finally explain why I think Halloween is the most Christian festival um, in the United States, people shake their heads and go, yeah, that makes sense. So on Christmas, we get together with our families. And um, there's a great song by um, Jackson Brown. It's called The Rebel Jesus. And 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 it, it has all kinds of reference to that. We get together in our families and we give to our relations. And if the generosity should seize us, perhaps we give a little to the poor. Um, and the song ends from a heathen and a pagan on the side of the rebel Jesus. He, you know, there's this challenge to our cultural Christmas. It's all about the birth of Christ and the incarnation of God coming as a man. And what do we do? We spend it with those we already know and those we, quote, already love, and we we don't love the radical other or the poor. Well, on Halloween, the doors open in neighborhoods, and kids are knocking on doors, and people they don't even know, and everybody's giving something away, and parties happen in neighborhoods, and, and there's an interesting inverted thing that occurs when somebody puts on a mask. When you put on a Halloween mask, all of a sudden your personality begins to pop out. You you act crazy, you do silly things, and oftentimes more many people are more themselves in costume than they are when they take the costume off and they walk around everyday life a little bit staid, holding back some. It's amazing what happens when people put a costume on. So this fact that people act more themselves they spend time in the community. They are giving things away to other people. Is this weird inverted moment when we're talking about scary things like, and let's face it, heaven and hell? We're talking about that? This sounds more Christian than the average day when we don't want to talk about those subjects, right? When we're afraid of it, we're talking about angels and demons and bad guys and good guys. All these themes that have this very gospel kind of stuff in it. But now we're telling people that that's somehow demonic don't play with that but i think because of this openness and people just acting as themselves it's the most christian day and we miss it <laughs> what drew you to neo-paganism or specifically american neo-paganism in the first place what's the draw there i was drawn to study about american neo-paganism because in 1999 I had planned to move to Salem, Massachusetts and start a church. 
a number of years before that, knowing that I wanted to do that, I thought I'd better know who I'm going to be talking to. About um, somewhere between 5 and 10% of the population of Salem is neo-pagan. Um, yeah, my studies in neo-paganism were birthed out of the desire to move to Salem, Massachusetts, where there were a lot of witches, a um, handful of druids, and ceremonial magicians and heathen and shaman of various kinds. And to be able to live among them as opposed to just have an argument against whatever they believed. So I, I looked at it as not as a Christian, how do we get these people saved? But for, as an anthropologist, who are they? How do they, how do they get together? What is it that makes them tick? Um, what do they love and what do they hate? Why have they left the church if they have? And um, what is it that has caused them to take up this alternative spirituality? So did you just go out and build relationships with, I mean, talk to me about, a bit about the methodology, I guess. Did you just go out and kind of befriend? I found some witches who were willing to talk to me, who were leaders in the neo-pagan movement. I went to their shops. I had lunch with them. I went to their festivals. And the first one we went to was... It was a real eye-opener because we had to go up into the um, San Fernando, San Gabriel Mountains of Southern California, just outside Pasadena, and drive out this road until it became a very narrow road, and they're just winding and nobody else was there, and turn down a dirt road and go down to the bottom among the trees and then turn into a smaller dirt road that had a locked gate, and we had the you know, the, the code to it, to open it up and drive behind the gate. And Jeff and I, who came with me, we looked at each other and said, okay, everybody's been telling us that we're going to be the sacrifice or watch out, they're going to practice sky clad. You know what that is, right? Which is clad with nothing but the sky. Well, it turned out to be a lot of pretty regular people who identified as witches and pagans of various kinds getting together at the beginning of August for a Lunasaw festival and uh, celebrating the Irish god Lou and doing it with things like games. Of course, in other places, we were hanging out with them while they were building little clay idols <laughs> and having discussions about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> It's a funny discussion to talk about the Ten Commandments while somebody's building a little clay idol in front of you, but that was what they wanted to talk about. And um, so it was events like that that started it. And then I would go to Salem every year for about five or six years until we finally moved there. And I developed relationships with the people in, um, in Salem. And the first relationships we built were with the witches in town. So I want to kind of launch into, because we'll come back to Salem, but uh, can you describe for us this Desert Fathers at Burning Man kind of um, creation, I oh, guess? Yeah. Can you describe it for us? Because uh, I've almost made it to Burning Man a couple of times back in my California yeah. days, but never quite did it. So, uh, But okay. I, have a va I have a pretty decent idea from friends who have been kind of the geography and the stuff. Anyway, just talk to me about yeah. talk to me about the Desert Fathers project at Burning project, whatever you want to call it, at Burning Man, yeah. and, and kind of how, yeah, how that happened. Okay, so in 2011, Burning Man um, had the theme of rites of passage. Every year, Burning Man has a theme. And so 
I thought this was a perfect opportunity to create an interactive project that acted as, as it were, kind of a rite of passage to hearing God. Um, and, and the theme we wanted to present was that the voice of God is out there and we have the possibility of hearing it if we listen. So I utilized Simon Simeon Stylites, 6th century Syrian monk who sat on a pillar for 39 years. And, and at, toward the end of his life, the Pope was even sending emissaries to hear what it was that Simeon heard from God. So he, he, he started a movement, actually, of pillar saints. So we built three 15-foot-tall pillars, and you climbed it from the inside on a ladder, and people would go to the top of that. And then we had an altar in front with a flame bowl, and people would come to it, and it was called the Pillars of the Saints. And so for us, we were telling them this is a rite of passage to become a saint. At these pillars, people um, would come forward, come, come to us, and ask what it was about. We'd tell them that it was built based on this project of Simeon Stylites and his pillar setting, and that we were encouraging them to climb the pillar, shut the door behind them, and, and we told them, and don't come down till you hear a voice. <laughs> Which most people, what? You gotta be kidding. But what we would do is just, we would tell the story of Simeon, then we would present it as we believe that the voice of the Spirit speaks, we just left it like that, the voice of the Spirit. And it was pretty experimental, and I was kind of nervous that we do this, and who knows what people were going to come up with. But we also, at the Flame Bowl, would provide them with a piece of paper and tell them, you know, there's something in all our lives to keep us from hearing the voice of the Spirit. What is it that you have that hinders you? And people would They'd spend a good amount of time thinking about that and write it down. We gave them flash paper, that magician's paper that just goes poof, just disappears. Hardly even a wisp of smoke, just flame. Boom, it's gone. And so that would happen. And sometimes people cried, they'd gasp, they'd be completely surprised by it. And that would set up something that... Um, I believe in very strongly in terms of communicating the gospel. There's this, uh, what the Russian philosopher Mikhail Bakhtin called um, a carnivalesque moment. It's something that turns your world upside down, a bit of surprise it says to you. And, and the revelation of God hinges on that kind of moment. So the element of surprise carries with it um, the same kind of dynamic that being changed by God carries. And so I love to do carnivalesque things because it sets somebody slightly off balance and takes them out of their normal thought processes. So they would climb the pillar, sit on top of it, and some people would come down fairly quickly. Some people would sit up there for, we had some people sit up there for a couple hours before they came down. And what they would write on the sides of these pillars were the most gracious things. I, I expected all kinds of wild, drunken, you know, uh, mushroom and peyote-induced stuff to come out of it, but much of it you could have pulled out of the pages of the Bible. And, and that led to 
all kinds of discussions with the people who came down and people on the team who helped build the project, praying with them. Um, and we were part of a camp that was doing dream interpretation, and we would send them there. So a lot of amazing ministry would oh, go on. So, yeah, it was based on that, and it was our first experiment into interactive art. What I, I now, I call it um, blank canvas art. We provide the canvas, but your interaction with the art provides the detail of it. It creates the very art itself. And then standard to Burning Man, we burned it at the end. Do you really want a million Christians to go to festivals? Well, no, I want a lot more. <laughs> a million's like a starting point. I want more than a million Christians and to go to festivals. Be, Explain um, to me why. Well, so um, we have a town that is basically a festival, a city of 40,000 people with a million visitors who come every October to celebrate Halloween. And we've discovered that when we do things on the streets, they stand in line for it. And, and then they come back every year because we do it every year. So I've been telling people, I want to plant micro churches in festivals. People who return to the same festival year after year, because that's what others are doing. People always want to go back to Glastonbury. Oh, I hope I can get into Glastonbury this year. And many people are now doing the same thing with smaller festivals. You know, things like Unearthed in a Field out in West Wales. Um, things like the Three Wishes Fairy Festival. There's all kinds of festivals that people are going to, and they're finding meaning in these places. And if I feel as though if I have something to offer then I want to offer that in the place where people are the most open to receive it. And that work-a-day life with its tension of time schedules and bills and um, just feeling kind of worn out every day oftentimes doesn't give people a place to open up and express themselves. Now, that's not true for everybody, but for the people who are running to festivals, it's true for many of them. And that is like, that is their Mecca or that is their pilgrimage. And so they run off to this place. And if I can learn to sensitively um, place myself into that situation and be an opportunity for somebody to hear the voice of God or to discuss things that they'd have questions about or in some cases they have a dream and it's been haunting them and they don't know what to think about it and in Salem a number of years ago we did a confessional booth but it was an inverted confession so you came into a room with monks sitting at a table and incense burning and you thought oh I have to confess now but when you sat down the monk said, um, well, I know you feel like you are going to confess your sins, but what we want to do is confess the sins of the church to you and apologize for things that have happened. Those kind of moments are, are the moments that if we can plant them 
into these festivals and we can get enough people with enough creativity. I don't want everybody to build a project and burn it to the ground or everybody to do dream interpretation or everybody to sit and be a monk who does a confession. The creativity that's already found in the life of the church is is just so much that I'm looking. I just want people to do what they do. We have one team that cooks omelets. (laughs) <laughs> and does breakfast and they're absolutely loved at one of the burning man events in the uk because it's like whoa this is a serious american breakfast <laughs> and then so it just gets mobbed every morning do you and, think i mean do you see it as sort of do you feel like we need to be or christians need to be like i don't know in a sense like prophets at these yeah events. yeah yeah <laughs> that's yeah so um i don't i don't know how many people i've met when we start talking about spirituality and are like looking for a definition of their spirituality, they point to an experience or an event. And it seems as though God is just floating in their experiences and they're not sure what to do with those things, but they also don't have the background um, of scripture that, that I have. Um, and I understand that because I wasn't raised as a Christian. Um, I was I was raised in the Christian Science Church, which is like a you know, mother, what they call the mother to the New Age movement. So I was raised in something much closer to the people I'm now hanging out with in festivals than something that I am myself. I know you do a lot of traveling now, but you right. seem to really love living in Salem. Do you love living in Salem? I love living in Salem, although it's a not well-kept secret anymore that I really want to move to Wales. I kind of want to ask you one more question, so if you'll indulge me. Um, I was really struck by what you said earlier about sort of a line. What What is the difference between holiness and cultural Christianity, do you think? (laughs) Well, (laughs) you don't have to be in church long to discover there's a dark underbelly to it. (laughs) That, you know, there, there are some things that this is the way we do stuff, but it's not necessarily helpful, and sometimes it's not necessarily good. So I've experienced being excommunicated from a denomination. Our entire church was excommunicated, and this is a really weird thing about it. The denomination gave us a grant for befriending neo-pagans and working with them, and the team that gave the grant came on a Halloween and watched what they were doing, They watched something like 35 witches go through the door of our confessional booth and come out crying, just like, oh, my gosh, this this changes my life. Um, But then somebody accused us of being heretics because we were dealing with a group of people who it's easy to have a superstition about witches, right? They're going to curse you. They're going to whatever. It's going to rub off on you as though somehow... Um, neo-paganism and witchcraft is some kind of viral thing Um, so we got the grant but then we got booted out of the denomination so I understand that there is this protective kind of spirituality that makes the church as an institution, almost like a person itself that needs to be protected. And when that happens, the very people who we're trying to help and trying to protect oftentimes get steamrollered over. They get squished because they don't fit. They don't look right. They 
um, who you're inviting is scary, where you're going is questionable. That kind of protective cultural Christianity was in opposition to a holiness that grabbed hold of understanding what it means to love my neighbor and, and also to take the gospel into all the world. Um, I do understand some of the places I go are not for everybody. I don't think everybody should be going to Burning Man. Um, some people will be excessively tempted when they arrive there. And I don't think that um, necessarily everybody um, needs to sit down with witches, sometimes uh, even Satanists, which that's a whole other thing. They're mostly not believers in Satan, but atheists. Some people find it tempting to want to get involved in some of the occult arts. So it's not for everybody, but we have billions of Christians, and that's why I say I'm looking for a million people. That's a really small number, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast from Church Mission Society. For more interviews from our day conference on mission among people who are spiritual but not religious, go to Church Mission Society dot org forward slash spiritual.